Well, I'm terribly frightened by the problem of LSD. Uh, I think there's been a great deal of misinformation. Good people don't smoke marijuana. Don't criticize what you can't understand. There is nothing smart. There is nothing uh, grown up or sophisticated in taking an LSD trip at all. They're just being complete fools. Right, exactly. And that's one of the components of the LSD experience, the understanding that there is no they, there's no other. It is all one. One that would engage in this or indulge in this is just a plain fool. Welcome to the Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast. My name is Adam. This is Chris. And this is episode four. Brock, the Iboga Badass. <laughs> is that all the drama you got there, Chris? Uh, Brock, the Iboga Badass. You'd be like, like Brock or something. Do you have something that's like, like uh, the badassery? Like what is badass? You know, really conjure a badass. Brock, the Iboga Badass. That, that's more of what I'm looking for. Okay. All right, let's give it another go here. Welcome to the Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast. My name is Adam. This is Chris. And this is episode four. Brock, the Iboga Badass. <laughs> is that not how I did it before? I don't know. Brock. So we sat down with uh, Brock. Uh, he had a, a quite a story to tell us. Man that struggled with various addictions, substance addiction in particular, and uh, right at the end of his line, almost you know near death, he found a solution. Yeah, and it's it's just really a harrowing journey that he goes on, and yeah, like you say, at the end of the line, and it's it's something that I really relate to because I've struggled with addiction my whole life, and we just know that so many people are out there struggling with addictions of all kinds. So to really hear about somebody who took one of the most alternative fringe options out there and come out, you know, not only ahead, but you know, this dude is thriving. Yeah, amazing. that was one of the, the coolest things about sitting down with him is just seeing on his face, he 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 found life again. Mm. He, he, he had that spark that, that you see in a person who, you know, just, just on a roll, you know, like doing what they love. Uh, he had, you know, he had a wife and a kid on the way and uh, just knowing that, you know, just seven years ago or so, I think it was, he was literally ready to die. Yeah, and I think that that's so important to, to really emphasize here because, you know, so often, at least my understanding, my experience talking with people about addiction, again, having, you know, gone through it myself, it seems like we fixate on just like the, the, the bad effects caused from the addiction itself. It can be so hard to see all the lost potential 
all the lost relationships, all the lost passion and uh, purpose. And so, yeah, Brock's a real example of like really recovering all of that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's, you know, everybody it can succumb to addictions. It doesn't make us like less of a person. It's just certain circumstances sometimes leave people in, you know, worse off shape than others. But the fact that, you know, there are options like Iboga that have clearly worked for some people is really gives us, it gives me a lot of hope, you know, that, you know, addicts and, and, and whoever is suffering out there, you know, they don't need to be left behind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to get into this with you, Chris, maybe a little bit before we get going here, because um, if, if I am correct here, Iboga is part of the decriminalized nature. Is that absolutely. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any any um, plant substance containing the Schedule 1 psychedelic substances, uh, I believe Ibogaine is, is the, the one on the list that um, the Iboga plant has in it. This this one it, it's it's huge. You know we've got we've got to do something about access to this. The, the prohibition in the United States of iboga is just not warranted as is uh, for the other psychedelic plants that entheogens. Brock has, I don't know, one of the most entertaining, uh, let alone heartfelt and authentic people that I've ever known in my life. And I can bring him on for a million stories, but seeing as this podcast is specific to psychedelics and psychedelic experiences, and today, for example, uh, psychedelics and addiction, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let him go. First, I want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. For Thank sure, you, man. For Appreciate sure, man. You. It's I'm humbled and honored, <clears throat> and I've had a I've had the information and I've had the story to share for a, a couple of years now, and uh, I've been looking for an outlet to share it, and uh, I want the most amount of ears to hear it. <laughs> this is perfect. Excellent. All right, so let's uh, let's first start out with this. Let's let's get out of the way exactly what iboga is. Iboga is a root found in Gabon, Africa. The rest of the world is starting to get an idea of what it is, and it's starting to be uh, shipped and used uh, as medicine in other parts of the, of the world. Um, you know, obviously, pretty much every country aside from the United States, uh, it's legal and it is used as uh, a medicine for mental illness and addiction. So it's... Uh, <laughs> do you have any um, suspicions or ideas of why do you think that is, that it's not legal here? Oh, we all know why. Yeah. <laughs> we all know why. And I'm not going to knock Big Pharma. I'm not going to do that. But we all know that's the reason why is we've got treatment centers. It is a $35 billion industry with over 14,000 rehab facilities across the United States, some of which have fancy names like Promises or Passages or Milestones. You know, names that sound like perfumes worn exclusively by widows. We've got medicines that are being used for opiate addiction. Mm -hmm. and um, That are opiates. Yeah, methadone right. and, and, and yeah, exactly, and Suboxone, and so they're making they're making money off of uh, trying to tell 
the general population that uh, that their medicines are the only things that are an option to use for addiction. Pharmaceutical companies have very little incentive to look at Ibogaine treatment. First of all, Ibogaine is a natural product, so it can, cannot be patented. Uh, secondly, it, the treatment duration is very brief, on the order of days typically, and it's not something you take every day for the rest of your life. And so there isn't the same profit motive as there is for something like methadone, which we're going to be taking for the rest of your life. Well, like I said, I'm not going to knock Big Pharma because when I have a headache, I reach for the Advil and uh, it works great. It has sure. its place. It has its place. And it's interesting, you know, if your cash crop is an opiate-based pill, you probably don't want something that uh, makes people not want the opiates anymore. I don't know. That's just my uh, suspicion. Well, the issue with uh, with methadone and Suboxone is you are correct. They are just another form of an opiate. And uh, I can tell from past experience I was on Suboxone. Mm. And I'm proud to say that I've got uh, four years of uh, four years as of last week of sobriety uh, from alcohol, and I've got uh, seven years of sobriety from opiates, uh, and that's it's incredible. But uh, I, I needed some help because I was slipping. There was a period in my life where I was uh, I was falling off a cliff, and when I hit bottom. It was not going to be pretty. And I got to remind you, or I got to tell you, share this with you. I was sober when I actually started to hit rock bottom. Yeah. So people always say that when you uh, when you get sober, everything's good. One day at a time, everything's going to be fine. Bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. In uh, 2013, uh, I got off of opiates with the help of my family, with the help of uh, friends. Uh, after a 10-year addiction, um, probably one of the hardest days of my life was going to my parents' house and telling them that I was addicted to opiates. They were like, what? How, how could that be? I'm like, I've been addicted to opiates since 2003. It broke my ankle, June of 2003, and uh, started with Tramadol, worked its way up to Percocet and Vicodin, and eventually I found myself uh, taking Oxycontin, and uh, yeah, It was it was a ten year battle that I I was able to conceal mm-hmm. very easily, and uh, with no suspicion, <laughs> I went to I went to law enforcement school and I got a law enforcement degree while I was high as a fucking kite on oxycodone. <laughs> yeah, you can hide that shit really easy. Yeah, that's um, that's a really dark hole that he's in right there. Yeah, I. I, fe- I still feel the despair in his words. Like he, it, it's clear to him that that memory stuck with him. Yeah, I mean, he got on this journey, you know, in 2013. I mean, getting off of OxyContin, can't imagine that was an easy trip at all. And then, you know, three years goes by, he's doing that, and then he has to get off of alcohol, goes through therapy, and even after all that he's not cured he's still dealing with the same issues yeah that that was the thing i didn't expect actually you know cuz the classic like addict recovery story is you know sometimes a little more clean cut like you know i was an addict and and then i found my cure and i was good but 
I almost feel now like this is probably a little bit more representative of the average person's struggle. It's it's not just one go with the addiction and then, you know, you hit your wall or whatever, but it's an ongoing thing. Like, you know, you try something, it helps a little bit, but then you end up coming back. And so clearly like there's something missing, you know, there's, there's something more potent that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've struggled with addiction and it is a strange thing that like desire to use the, the impulse to, you know, indulge in these kinds of behaviors. Cause it's like, I don't want that. You know, if I could just make that go away, I would. And that is really what I hear just from my perspective when he's describing this is just like, he's still facing that. He just still has that compulsion and he can't find a way to deal with it in a healthy way. You know, it was difficult. It was one of those things where I, I stepped away from opiates, but then I started to drink heavier. And my sure. old man had called me about six months after I was off the opiates, and he said, what are you going to do about, the, uh, about your drinking? And mm -hmm. I said, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But right now I want to get far enough away from the opiates uh, that I feel like I can take on that next challenge. And so I got sober from opiates in 2013, and then it was December of 2014 that uh, I finally called my old man. I said, uh, it's time. He said, it's time. I said, yeah, I got to be done with this alcohol. It's gotten pretty bad. You know, they were just supportive to say, hey, we'll, we'll help you. And my, I said to my old man, I said, listen, I want to go to treatment. I've never done that, and I, I'd like to give it a try. And I got I to gotta tell you, I was in really rough shape, really rough shape. Um, when I actually called my dad, my mom and dad came over to my house, and I couldn't open a can of tomato soup. My hand was shaking so bad. And so uh, at the same time, I was working full time. I was a fully functioning alcoholic. It's not easy being drunk all the time. Everyone would do it if it were easy. And so I went to treatment and I got sober. I went out to uh, passages out in uh, California and it was uh, it was good. I learned a lot of tools there. I wouldn't knock that at all. I mean, it was, it was expensive. I had insurance that helped pay a part of that. And I learned a lot of very valuable tools in my tool belt. Um, it wasn't till later that I realized I was missing the key tool. I need a Sawzall. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, sawzall. I had a tape measure and I had a hammer in there, but I needed a fucking Sawzall and they couldn't offer me that. So this, uh, this is an analogy for something. This is an analogy, okay. yeah. My construction guys will get that. It's, it's a power tool that you can have many uses for. Yeah, I needed a power tool that was going to uh, okay. handle a, what I needed it for. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I got out of treatment and... Um, and I was, you know, I was, I was using the tools that I learned in treatment. You know, I was doing all of them. I was going to the meetings, you know, I was meditating, I was doing yoga and something still wasn't right. And, uh, it started getting bad. You know, I hadn't relapsed, but, uh, I was just starting to handle things differently in life. And um, like I said, some of the tools were uh, play the tape, which means you think about what your actions are, what the tape will look like eventually, what will happen, what will occur from that. And uh, 
2016, so now it's been just over a year that I've been sober, um, had some a falling out in many aspects of my life. It was uh, I was in a publication in the Twin Cities that uh, painted a picture of me that was not correct, and I had a um, a longtime girlfriend leave me. And I mean, I could literally just keep throwing stuff at you. That was just it was a horrible, horrible year. And uh, in the summer of 2016, I had a, I guess you could call it a, like a partial relapse. I started drinking uh, 3-2, which is an alcohol. <laughs> I don't know who's hearing this, but in Minnesota, we have a weak alcohol. It's called 3-2. Gas this is something beer. sold the beer. in the other right. parts of the country. But yeah, we have this gas station beer that's got a very minimal amount of alcohol. You can buy it after 10. Yep. Yeah, buy it after 10, <laughs> finding gas stations. Then, right? Well, in yeah, your, that's kind of the way I looked at it. I said, I'm not getting drunk. I'm just kind of drinking it. Mm. You know, I wouldn't even really get a buzz. I was just, it was more of the idea of, of uh, that I was, that there was alcohol in there. That's, something. Yeah, something. Yeah. Still, I mean, it wasn't... Uh, you could just see that that shit was going south. Like I said, after the longtime girlfriend left me, that was uh, mm, that'll do it. That was fucking r- bad, and so I knew that a full on relapse was coming. I could smell it, I could sense it, I could see it, mm. and uh, I said, I I need to do something. But guess what? I'm not going back to treatment. It was it a possibility? I kicked it around. I was like, well, what am I going to go do? Like, what am I going to learn? I don't even, I don't, you know, I don't already know. Mm. I mean, you knew it wasn't enough. I'm practicing all these things I've learned mm. and it's still not working. And so, um, it happened one night It happened. I was, uh, I was leaving a job site and, uh, I happened to have a friend call me who was in recovery and, uh, he said, Hey Brock, I'm going to ask you something. Don't get offended. I said, go for it. He said, uh, I'm sitting here with, I'm not going to name who it was, but I'm here with so-and-so. Uh, he was also in recovery with me. He said, do you want to get fucked up tonight? And I just automatically responded, fuck yes. Yes. Yes and yes. And uh, I said, be at my place at 7 o'clock. He said, perfect. So my two other friends that were in recovery came over, and uh, I was living in a penthouse at the time overlooking the city, and it was just, just... Streamlined right through the front door, right into the kitchen. Shots looking out the window. We're taking over this town. We walked to some of the local nightclubs, got just completely annihilated. Hey, everybody! I'm Peter Pantsless! <laughs> and uh, the next morning, we woke up, and one of my friends had a broken leg. I guess I had broke every one of those, those small uh, book. You know where you get the books and the little the little things they look like mailboxes, but you get books out of them. Sure. I guess uh, I called a babysitter that night. I guess when I was at a certain point, I said, "Would you come watch me?" Like I'm making really bad decisions. He said that I was walking around the neighborhood like in a 12 block radius, beating up every one of those things for no reason, just using it like Mike Tyson, just <laughs> knocking it out. It's the drop a book and take a book thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All those. <laughs> yeah. Sad. Yeah. The most guess, innocent thing to destroy. Yeah, I was going Mike Tyson on that shit. <laughs> Just those things? Just uppercuts. Why do you hate yeah. charity so much? Yeah, makers. I don't know. Just and, Children uh, and old ladies so, are going to suffer from this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it made no rhyme, no reason, but the demons in me were, uh, the, the the years that I'd been sober, uh, they were they were out in the parking lot bunch bench pressing fucking buses. You know what I mean? Like, when they came, they came hard. They've been waiting for yeah. uh, for quite a while, yep. building strength, and then yep. they get, you got the opportunity to go... Exactly. Yeah. And we came to the next day and uh 
my friends and I looked at each other and we said, we can't do this. And we, we, we relapsed last night and uh, we can't do this. And uh, so now we're sitting there, the three of us are sitting there going, holy shit, now what? We know that's not an option. Like we were all having issues with our lives at that point, but that's not an option. So now where do we turn? We go back to AA, we've been doing that, meditating, been doing that, shit. The next step is, is, is giving up and we all know what that means. That means suicide. And that's what I started thinking. So I started thinking something ain't right with me. I can't drink. I'm not going to use drugs. I don't know where else to go. Mm. It was the, uh, the month of September of 2016 was, uh, it was brutal. It was very dark. And, uh, one night as I was sitting there lost, scared, angry, I had remembered an episode of Vice that uh, is on HBO. And there was an episode on there where this, this guy was uh, dancing around with this, uh, with this addict. And uh, they were talking about some sort of medicine for, uh, for addiction. This is a Bwiti healing ceremony at a harm reduction center in Harlem. This is Dimitri Muganis, and he cures people of heroin addiction. And I, I just, I don't, didn't really recall what it was about, but I was like, I remember I saw it. So I started Googling it and then YouTubing it, and I found it, and it was talking about this medicine called Ibogaine. What is Ibogaine? Ibogaine is a hydrochloride, meaning a uh, extract from uh, a plant called aboga. Mm. One of the properties of aboga uh, that was discovered in the early 60s was that it interrupts physical dependency on opiates without withdrawal. That's and and I started listening to uh, what the guy on the show, what he was talking about, and he was kind of had the same symptoms I had. And I was I could relate to it. And I said, I need this. Like I, I need to try this. I don't know where it is, but I've got to find it. And so uh, I started obviously going to different forums and reading different threads. And I found that it was pretty prevalent in Costa Rica that you could uh, obtain this stuff. And it said it was very dangerous. And I was like, I don't really care. They said you could die. I was like, I'm going to fucking kill myself anyways. Who gives a fuck? Hearing Brock there get to this low point, I mean, it, it really hits home for me because I've struggled with addiction and I've been at some of these really intense low moments. And, and the one thing I just pick up on that I think is important for all of us to pay attention to is, is this place that he's at where he's out of options, where he's out of options and he's seeking some type of relief, some type of other way out of this thing. Because that place, that, that, that is the situation that has really gotten this whole psychedelic renaissance off the ground. Right now we have the treatment-resistant PTSD psychotherapy, we have the, tr- we have the treatment-resistant depression, psilocybin trials happening, and those are people who haven't been able to find any other type of healing, any other way of per- you know, creating lasting positive change in their lives. And so this whole movement is built around the fact that people are not able to get their lives into better harmony with the existent treatment methods we have. And that is just so sad. I mean, Brock really is just one person here in a horrible low moment, but 
he is representative of so many other people in our current society. And we just have to focus on that because really, I mean, the psychedelic movement as it's progressing right now is really a movement about mental health. And the movement about mental health is, is really a story about how our society is set up. Next time on Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast. So I had to be at this room. I got a number for him and I sent it to him. And next thing you know, I got a call and it was a guy named Anthony. He said, hey, uh, this is Anthony. Your, your family reached out to me. He said, you're down in Costa Rica looking for some iboga. And I said, I am. He said, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to go to this town or this village and you're going to be there at 730 at night and the shamans will find you. And I said, okay, I'll be there. More to come very soon on Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast with our episode series, Brock the Iboga Badass. Stay tuned. All conversation and information exchanged on the Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice. Nothing on this podcast should supersede or supplement the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although this podcast has medical professionals on it, they are not functioning as so in this environment. The Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast does not encourage the illicit use of illegal substances. We encourage you to think for yourselves. We encourage you to discern all information per presented in this episode. And kids, don't do drugs. But parents, you might want to do your research.